What is a mass formation psychosis? That's a term that was made popular, or should I say infamous, by Dr. Robert Malone recently on the Joe Rogan podcast. And that is the subject of conversation in this second part of our conversation with the hosts of the Ars Politica podcast, Stephen Wolf and Thomas Acord. So join in the conversation, and we're going to talk about mass formation psychosis, what it is, who it affects, how to deal with the world in which people seem to be trapped in it. And man, we're going to get into a lot of other stuff related to our current political crisis. So if you enjoyed part one, part two is even better and even a little spicier as we get into some controversial analysis about the culture and our political environment. So enjoy. This is part two with the Ars Politica guys. My name is Joel Sedeckes. In 2009, I left my job in the business world to teach Bible at a Christian high school in Chicago. Impacted by my students' questions, I set out on a journey that brought me first to seminary to study apologetics and philosophy of religion, and then into pastoral ministry. As a pastor, I saw firsthand the struggle of believers confronted with questions of life that at first seemed impossible to answer and the powerful confidence that came when they saw how God's Word gives the answers and guidance they needed. I had a dream to spread that message and equip more followers of Jesus, so my family and I joined crew and launched the Think Institute. Now, I'm on a mission to equip believers to explain, share, and defend the Christian message by applying timeless biblical truths to current cultural challenges. I don't have all the answers, but I'm determined to find them. And through this show, I'm reporting back to you, the Think Squad, what I discover. Welcome to the Think Podcast. Really quickly before we start, learning how to interpret all of life through the lens of God's Word takes a lot of work, more than just one or two podcast episodes a week. If you have an interest in the intersection between the biblical worldview and biblical manhood and current events, as I do, as well as philosophy, theology, and many, many leather-bound books, consider joining our free online community, the Think Squad group on Facebook, Gab, and on Signal. There you can join hundreds of other Christ followers who are also on the same journey, and we trade apologetic stories and strategies, we discuss philosophy and theological questions. It's like a huge bull session around a bonfire in your backyard or at your favorite cigar lounge. So check out the Think Squad group on Facebook, Gab, and Signal. Did you, like the connection with Hobbes um, and... Could you could you go do that again? I'm sorry, I'm, I'm yeah, trying to just using, follow. I was using the uh, the example of his Leviathan, okay, um, uh, as an example from uh, the sovereign who controls the masses because the masses actually give him that control. As a result, okay. he's now the sovereign over all of them, and whatever he says becomes law. And because if he doesn't take control of them, there'll be mass chaos everywhere. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, in in our uh, in our our latest uh, ours Politica episode, mm-hmm. we we try to tackle this. What we Thomas and I are not experts on psychology or psychiatry or any of that, of that sort. And we try, we tried not to, I, I think we did an okay job trying not to claim we were um, experts in it, but uh, we were trying to just really, the episode kind of became what trying to explain the COVID res- the, 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 the response to COVID you see, particularly on, on the coasts uh, among 
I say uh, blue cities. I don't want to say blue states anymore because they're usually blue cities and red states. But um, but the, trying to explain uh, that uh, that that response um, because I think something needs to be explained because all of a sudden the the same people who were who were opposed to quote body shaming or fat shaming and they they made a big deal about fat studies or fat critical studies or whatever those were back then. Uh, those same people are all of a sudden obsessed about your health. You know, they really care about your health. Mm. They, they all of a sudden they care about public health. I mean, but public health has been a problem for decades. I mean, not not only it, it took, uh, I think it took twenty. It took Trump winning election for the elites to say, "How did he win?" Oh, maybe it's because we've neglected the white working class who are dying from opioid addiction um, and other public health problems. But that lasted for a while, uh, a little while, and that's pretty much gone. And um, and, then, and then just the obesity of uh, within a, uh, among Americans uh, has been bad. And, and there's been some attempts, but mostly it's been bad. I mean, the food pyramid and nutrition advice has been terrible for <laughs> 50, 60 years. Mm-hmm. Um, and But all of a sudden, everyone's excited about health. And so, well, what's the difference? And so we try to talk about this. Um, it, the difference is that getting your shot is a passive form of health. It doesn't require you to eat right. Doesn't require you to exercise. Uh, it doesn't require you to be active in general. Uh, it doesn't, it doesn't require any sort of struggle, um, or or self assertion, uh, exertion. Uh, it's, it's passive. It's entirely passive. And this, I think, connects to broadly speaking life in, in the, in a modern bureaucracy, uh, that goes back a long, I mean, you know, 56, 70 years of, of modern bureaucracy where all, all, much of our life is just us kind of being administered to, but as just submitting to the bureaucracy. Hmm. And so I think part of what we're seeing, uh, Part of, of, of what we see is a uh, – it, it's like the, the, the dream of, of a modern bureaucratic administ- uh, system that now we can have we – can, we can be these pious, moral people and administer your shot. And we are now the, – the administrators, the, the bureaucrats are now the heroes and you have those ridiculously cringy videos of nurses dancing – um, while, while the people are still in terrible shape, terrible health, I, I mean, the, the images of people who are like, oh, I got my mask on and I get my shot and the, the dude's like 300 pounds. I mean, the, the images that just, it's just so absurd, uh, that, that it's, it's hard to take seriously, but they are actually very serious. And so I think part of the psychosis, it's, it's not, it's not just hypocrisy. It's not just hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is a lame, um, mode of criticism usually not all the time but it's often a really boring way of critiquing um, jesus did use hypocrisy well that's why i said i said most of the time <laughs> i did hear that but, qualification yeah but, yeah, yeah. but it, it is the case nevertheless that it's the most boring in the sense that it's there's usually a, a more uh, important and interesting explanation and, and the, so, pharisees, the pharisees had underlying reasons for their own hypocrisy too so yeah so for, in, in this case the the interesting um, hypocrisy would be, okay, well, you don't care about health, but all of a sudden you care a lot about health. Mm. Well, you're hypocrites. Well, there's more to it than that. And that's, that's, I think the psychosis comes in, uh, where, where, I mean, 
this is really hard to describe. Maybe I should throw it to Thomas <laughs> to describe it from now on. But I think that there is this, we're so conditioned into passivity and the, that, and I think the left and bureaucratic liberalism has so conditioned us to celebrate this sort of thing that it, that once, once vaccines became the means of public health, it was just jumped on entirely and became an obsession. But, but yeah, go ahead. Take, take away Thomas. <laughs> uh, the way I see it is that we've, we've allowed ourselves to be governed for so long and other people make decisions for us regarding culture, food, clothing, music, movies, lifestyle, habits, the, the way, the, the things, everything around us is produced somewhere else by somebody else and I just consume it. And I trust whoever's making these products, whether it's the fruit at the store or the whatever's on the television or the healthcare advice on the internet. I trust what Google reports to me. I mean, I teach students and you, I can't tell you how often they just Google the answer and just put down the very first thing that shows up. They don't think about it. Well, well of course, Google is going to tell me the truth and they don't right. think it through. They don't. It's, it's an easy way to live. And I, I think back to Alexis de Tocqueville. I mentioned this in the podcast also, but he said that in all ages, tyranny has been possible, but in the age of individualism, it's possible in a new, more extreme way. Hmm. Because when, the, when you break all former social bonds, all of the, the, social, the, the petty hierarchies and, and aristocracies and patchwork, uh, patchwork uh, network sort of society, when you break all those down for the sake of liberating the individual from all things – you haven't actually freed people. You've made them weaker because now they have no means of defense. They have no means of assembly, of, of coordination with their fellow man. So they, their only input and their only source of, of good is from, is from one power above them. Hmm. You can call it the government. You can call it Leviathan, uh, the king, the bureaucrat. And so when it comes to public health, we don't listen to the local doctor. We don't listen to all, we listen to this one extreme power above hmm. and mass formation psychosis comes in, especially when you're isolated like that and you have no culture of your own and suddenly a culture or a philosophy, a total package, we call it a worldview, right? Or something hmm. is provided for you at, at a single moment. And it's provided for you, for, for you and for many others. And suddenly you're linked together all in a system of ideas Interesting. that makes sense. And things are very clean and neat. And you need not look at all the evidence and all the details because that's just messy. And it brings you anxiety once more. Hmm. And if you just go get your shot you, and wear your mask, you feel good about yourself. And society can get back to normal. We just we're, like two weeks to slow the curve. Yeah. Like that kind of slogan makes you feel good in a mass formation psychosis. It's like yeah. a, it's a catchphrase that makes you, that triggers emotions in you that calms you down. It's interesting because the, one of the conditions that I know you guys talked about on your show, and I believe Dr. Robert Malone spoke about on the Joe Rogan podcast as well, which was sort of the, um, the initial, rock that started this avalanche of everyone talking about the mass formation psychosis is one, one of the preconditions is isolation. Right. And, you know, for me, I'm looking at the year 2020 and I'm the signs of isolation are obvious. People 
self-isolating in their homes. We called it quarantine, uh, yeah. lockdowns, whether it was imposed from without or just strongly recommended or, you know, whether it was uh, self-motivated. But what I hear you saying, Thomas, is that this, I, this idea of isolation is not just what happened in 2020, where we were physically, socially distanced and physically right. isolated, but we've also been cutting ourselves off as a society from the interconnected network of structures which give meaning to life and support to life and resources to life and and ironically those those net that network actually enabled us to become more self-sufficient whereas when you remove those structures we find ourselves isolated and actually counterintuitively more dependent on that's right that's on right. the central power is that accurate yeah that's actually it, there's an irony here so the more we, the more advanced we become, the more isolated we can become. I don't need to actually uh, go get my food from a local farmer. I can get it. I, I don't even have to grow it myself. I'm so I'm so self-sufficient. I don't need anyone around me. I can go to Walmart and get it from thousand people all over the globe. You However, actually can't. You actually, in, in many states, you can't deal directly with local farmers. That's right. Yeah. So you're you're cut off from your from your local from local people. However. So, and so you feel isolated, yet at the same time, you're more globally connected and more dependent upon an infinite chain uh, of, of, of society, of, of civilization to function. And at any moment, if it, if it stops, just think when China couldn't import masks for that first, first moment of the coronavirus or toilet paper, people started freaking out because we couldn't even have, you know, make our own masks and toilet paper. Um, but we have been for a long time. So, for a long time, setting the cultural conditions that would make something like social distance even a thing. Like, it's not social distance that caused it. That's a symptom hmm. of a, a, an individualist isolation that's, that's been happening in our culture for a long time. My wife pointed something out to me the other day, which is music. But before electronic earphones and, and CDs and all this stuff... The only time you would ever heard, ever have heard music would be in a crowd of people where there's a band assembled. And so music for a long time, all the, all the songs written for almost all of human history were written for people to be heard uh, in a crowd at a celebration, at a festival, at, at a morning or a church. Now we have music that's for isolated individuals. And this is just an analogy for everything else. You have people who are self-educating who are getting their culture that it's a, a thousand miles away. It has nothing to do with people around them. They're isolated and yet they're globally connected. Uh, some people have said it's like being at people at Starbucks. They're alone together. They, they're all in public all together and they're on their phones alone. People like that are easy to steal from. You can, if I were a pickpocket or a, or a, a, a robber or something, so easy. These people are clueless. And if I were a government, if I were if I were the fox in Machiavelli's Prince, it's it would be super super easy to manipulate these people. And I mentioned to Tocqueville earlier. He talked about this. He said, when you isolate people like this, they are not stronger. It feels freeing, uh, but it's actually you're weakening the individual. When you free a woman from all her social and family obligations, for instance, from the home. It feels like liberation. It ends up leading to exploitation, weakness, depression, uh, all kinds of social maladies that can be preyed upon by people who 
understand these. I'm not making all this up. People have just written about this and said, this, this is how it works if you want to do it. I'm not going to do it. I'm not immoral, mm. but they're less you know, moral inhibitions than I. Yeah, you just summed up uh, modern feminism. Right there. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, two things I want to throw at you, gentlemen, and get your real, your feedback on this. So, G.K. Chesterton has been um, held to have said that the madman is not the man who has lost his ability to reason. Rather, the madman is the man who has lost everything but the ability to reason. And this harkens back to our conversation of being part of a, a, a structure, a multi-diverse structure that critiques you, that analyzes, that provides a social framework, that provides kickback and pullback and pushback on your ideas as you integrate and talk and think. And and, and I've seen the most um, intelligent and erudite of men who have been isolated by others become a form of insanity within themselves as they form some kind of internal psychosis. They become insane because they have cut themselves off from this group that they're essentially needing for that uh, social interaction. I have another idea, but I want to get your feedback on that for psychosis. Yeah, yeah I just I, want to say, I just want to say thank you for quoting Orthodoxy. <laughs> I like that book a lot. So, Stephen, you go ahead. Okay. Yeah, I think I think it's really good. I, um, the w- when you when you don't have when you don't have kind of the, the local networks when you're not connected locally. And and there's then decision making has been centralized, and by centralized nowadays would be, I guess, with the CDC, mm. Fauci, um, at the at the federal level. Uh, when you ha- when you have that, you're dependent on essentially these. Uh, you can't act locally. So when when people are th- saying, "Wait, you know what? This is masking kids is crazy. Uh, we shouldn't do this." And when when you uh, are un- when you're un- when you're unable to uh, determine trade-offs, so everything in public health is a trade-off. So the flu kills people, people get sick from the flu. I'm sure there are ways that we can uh, prevent the flu from transmitting to people, but but we we have forever uh, determined that there's a trade-off there, and so we're going to conduct business as normal, despite the fact that some people get sick, and that's a decision that people before could make locally. And uh, but now that's been centralized, we're, n- we're not actually not able to do that. And I think some a lot of the resistance that you get from parents at, at school boards and and a lot of times the the, the mayors resisting kind of the, the education establishment uh, in, in some some cases that's look that's a local response to uh, more national level uh, organizations dictating policy, and it's really just local people saying that. This is our this is our trade off. This is this is our trade off, and that's what we're willing to do. Uh, but we're una- but you know we're unable to do it because the, the policy um, centralized that, po- policy is, decisions been centralized. It's sounding very familiar. We had last week we had Pastor Matt Truella on. Matt Truella wrote a book called The Doctrine of the Lesser Magistrates. Caldoun's holding it up in front of the camera right now, which I think you guys, I, I don't know if, have you read this book? No, I haven't. I think I've heard of it, but. Uh, Stephen, I think it'd be right up your alley. Uh, if, I don't know that you'd agree 100% with with all of uh, Pastor Matruella's thinking. I know Caldoun, I, I can say he and I have talked. I don't think we agree with everything that he's that he says, but very good book. And he talks a lot about the importance of, as he 
deems them lesser magistrates, uh, people in, in civil government who have less authority than, you know, the president, the governor, et cetera. So this is your local sheriff. This is your mayor, as you mentioned, Stephen, and the importance of them interposing themselves, uh, and essentially nullifying these policies, these tyrannical policies coming down. And so I'm just throwing that just more grist for your guys yeah. mill. Uh, maybe, um, you know, might stimulate some interesting discussion on your show. Well, well I think it, and yeah, I think what's happening is that you, you're, you have mayors who would, who would go a certain way, but then they also have public health officials that are advising them or recommending things to oh, them. Yeah. And so I think the public health, the, the, the mayors, I think would be more connected often with the people themselves. Yeah. The same with the city council, I'd you'd hope anyway, but the public health officials would be a sort of the, like the, you almost want to say like the foreign in, intruder into the establishment who's connected with the more national broader, uh, yeah. the Manchurian uh, candidate or, or, orthodox, yeah, orthodoxy uh, yeah. Of, of public health. Right. Um, but I, just, I'm sorry. Well, yeah, go ahead. No, uh, uh, you mentioned earlier the um, the politicization of the science and the medicine here is not a state issue, red, white, uh, red, blue. It's more of a cities are, and I I, I resonate with a lot with that. Um, I've been talking to some chemistry people, some people in the sciences, who are telling me that the science says this way, and I was just pushing back, and I want to hear your feedback on this. That the science doesn't say anything; it's scientists who say things and make recommendations based on in their interpretation of the data. But is it really just the scientific understanding of this, this paradoxical um, pandemic? Uh, for example, uh, if the constituents or the people in a particular region or demographic are afraid or concerned about this, suddenly there are people who emerge from there who are experts, who are recommending things to policymakers, who are putting down lockdowns and mandates in particular cities who happen to be blue. And then suddenly it's the exact opposite happening as others cities that are happen to be red. By the same data, people are interpreting it different ways. And I'm just, I'm finding that the interesting thing about this is, is there some kind of way to address that that makes sense to people to see that this is not just about the science? Um, for example, I'll just throw one thing out at you. 2021, the CDC and the World Health Organization has dictated the flu rates has significantly dropped in the United States and specifically in Great Britain. Right. However, COVID rates have shot up, but masks work. I'm going, is there something here that's missing? Is there, am I not seeing the dots or are you not seeing the dots that are connecting here? Um, yeah. uh, I, don't, I, I think I'll just throw the ball back at you here. I think a good book about this is Robert Kennedy's recently, uh, the real, the real Falke, the real Anthony Falke. Mm. I recently read this based upon recommendation from, I think it was uh, Dr. McCulloch. I can't remember his first name. I keep forgetting it. But he, he mentioned Peter. this. Peter. Okay, I thought it was Robert for some reason. P Peter, it's Robert Malone. Okay, Peter McCulloch. And and this book was really, really good. And I'm not a, I'm not a scientist, I'm not a trained doctor or anything like this. But one thing it, it clearly shows, and you can see this if you just read a book about the history of science. Just read the hi a history of science. Science is something that's always in dispute. Uh, the, the idea of science is ex experimentation and empirical observation never, never brings you to absolute truth. It, it can't. Uh, it, by default, it's, it's uh, inductive. It's not deductive. And, and just logically, you cannot arrive at something that's absolutely certain. 
uh, this way. And so when people talk this way, what they're revealing is that they're not scientists uh, in the real sense. They're, they have memorized the findings of past science and that, and that's how they've been. By the, so if you go, I'm in, I'm in education. I would say at least 90, 90% or more of scientific education in America is not actually teaching people to think scientifically, but teaching them to memorize scientific data mm-hmm. and regurgitate it on a test. That's natural. And so it's no question why people during a pandemic or some, some national scientific controversy, people don't talk about it scientifically. They don't, like you're saying just a minute ago, Professor Caldun, that, uh, well, well, what about this and what about this? We're not taught to think that way. We're not allowed to think that way. If you, and in fact, if you, if you think that way, you need to be quiet. We need to move on to the next unit uh, in this lesson. You're not going to pass med school if you don't memorize this stuff. Uh, there are many, many doctors who are purposefully silenced if they do step out. And this is proven and this is demonstrated in the book. Step out of line with the approved narrative, the, the, the government-backed narrative, the highly funded narrative that what, whatever it is that's coming out of, out of the NAID, which sounds like the NICE, from uh, history just just Um, just so people are aware that's the second time it's come up because i said it earlier uh that's a reference to that hideous strength which is c.s lewis's third book of the ransom trilogy or the space trilogy which i would say fairly accurately describes the years 2020 to 2022 (laughs) yeah yeah i had to go back and read after i read the real anthony falke i went back and reread that hideous strength because the whole time i was reading this real this, this story about real science in the modern day since the 90s to today, mm-hmm. I kept thinking, this is that hideous strength. It is exactly that okay. to a T, Thomas. other than King Arthur showing up. <laughs> okay. I, I, I have to interject here because what what is up with the way that you pronounce Fauci? <laughs> I don't know. That's just what I've heard. I'm not sure. Fauci? <laughs> yeah. I, 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 I noticed it on your show too, and you say Fauci. And everyone else I've ever heard says Fauci. And I don't know, am I saying it wrong? It is. I will say this. It, if it's Italian, if, it, if he's Italian, which I think he is, then it is Fauci. That's how you pronounce the, the C, the, uh, the I, I, I or an E after a C in Italian is a ch sound. Okay. Okay. So you're, okay. you're correct. <laughs> okay. I, listen, I'm just, I'm just trying to do what I've been told. Okay. I'm just trying to follow classes here. And, <laughs> hey, don't uh, question, man. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. And you're giving me something outside the norm, which is messing with my mass formation psychosis. Yeah. I'm giving you reason right now, which is not allowed. We don't, <laughs> right. this is science. This is not reason. Yes. Yeah. Science has spoken otherwise. Yeah. I, I think yeah. another thing on this is that the, um, on a lot of things that that are considered orthodoxy within the science world, there's only a vi- there's only a very few number of scientists who actually study the thing, and then there's an official conclusion on the thing, and then all other scientists are then now duty bound to affirm it as orthodoxy. So a lot of times when when you just talk to medical doctors and they say, "Well, this is this has been shown by this and that," they they don't. They never took a statistics class. They never, they never read the study. Um, so I'm not saying like science, uh, doctors are untru- uh, unreliable in, in most things, but, but a lot of times when, when people say, well, this is what our field has shown, they are relying upon an authority above them, not on their own actual authority. Uh, and I think another, another thing to consider is that, uh, there's, 
I mentioned trade-offs before. E- even if we did have a good conclusion on the effectiveness on masks, the, the effectiveness of vaccines and all that, uh, and the effectiveness of lockdowns, even if we had good solid like evidence on that effectiveness, it's the job of civil magistrates, civil leaders to make decisions about the trade-offs involved. So, yeah, I mean, if we all isolate in our house and we all chose our own room and we stayed in that room by ourselves, then no one's going to get COVID. It's also going to be mentally miserable and uh, harm people. And and we've seen rises in like suicides and other things. So, it, it is the job of these people to make that hard decision. I think what but what happened, what has happened is that our the discourse within the media on COVID has been so crazy that the only thing that matters is that COVID death rate is the only thing that matters is COVID um, infections. That's the only thing that matters. So everything else that uh, in, in the different ways people have been harmed uh, through the, the, the public health measures are, are not factored at all. And so th- this has been putting, making it difficult for civil leaders to make that what would be a, a normal decision that might include lockdown, it might include masks, it might include vaccine mandates, um, if you want to go there. But, uh, but there, there hasn't, but, but there isn't, yeah, there isn't that, that calculation of the other, the, 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 the consequences. Because you can have, like, you could say that lockdowns in themselves are not wrong and they actually can't in themselves be, um, good i guess in itself but it can have bad consequences as well and that's that's true for all policies um yeah yeah, so that's that's very interesting um joel Joel, can i can i just interject here with a quote from lewis i think this is yeah yeah this is good uh so basically this is from the screw tape letters from the preface and you may have heard this before but he he says uh he says i live in the managerial age oh yeah Uh, In the world of admin, he says, the greatest evil is not now done in those sordid dens of crime that Dickens loved to paint. In other words, it's not just ham-fisted, in-your-face, aggressive, a boot stomping on. He says, rather, it is done – it is not done even in concentration camps and labor camps. Again, masculine. Mm -hmm. Uh, It traits. In those, we see its final result. But it is conceived and ordered, moved, seconded, carried, and minuted. In clean, carpeted, warmed, and well-lighted offices by quiet men, so he does say men, with white collars and cut fingernails and smooth-shaven cheeks who do not need to raise their voices. Yeah. Hence, naturally enough, my hell, my symbol for hell is something like the bureaucracy of a police state or the office of a thoroughly nasty business concern. So, yeah, it is the men. I think the men are- It's chilling. Like, yeah, yeah. But it's, it's not it's, – it's Dr. Fauci. Yeah, he's he's nice. He's he's calm. He's he's not yelling and, and raving like Hitler or something. Right. Um, so it's it the World Economic that- Forum, yeah. Davos. It's, you know, it's, yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. It's dignified. Everybody's you know dressed well right. and and calm and and rational seeming. Right. You know? And and right. then they put it's, out it's, these uh, Stalin-esque policies that affect the whole world. Right. And bring the world. Under I think team. I think this is where. This is where evangelicals go wrong. They think that people like Donald Trump are the real threat. They think that people like Don- someone who tweets mean tweets yeah. uh, is that's what actually leads to terror and tyranny and injustice. It can, sure, but they think that politeness, manners in politics, 
and uh, state be, being stately is is the way to go. And that's why you often see people who are evangelical leaders who don't call out people on the left who actually have decent manners like Obama, for instance. He was a suave guy, but he did a lot of bad things, uh, bombing countries and stuff like this. But which, yeah, you know, it's like as long as you're mannerly places. about it. Yeah, as long <laughs> as you don't offend anybody while you're doing it, uh, you're not committing masculine sins. It's okay. Because the, uh, the, the feminine is, is under, it's under the table. It's indirect. Um, and you can't detect, you can't see it straightforwardly and it cares. It's always concerned about you. And so we're, what we're saying is not that women are the, are the problem. I hope, hope you, your listeners don't hear that women. No, no, yeah. I'm hearing yeah. what I'm, what I'm hearing is, uh, uh boys, good girls, bad. That's what yeah, I'm pretty saying. much. That's what, that's what I'm trying to say. So what yeah. you're saying is, that- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but no, it's, it's but it's that the sins are decidedly a, a feminine uh, in direction, the vices are feminine, and surely f- women are involved in that. Um, but clearly, I mean, Dr. Fauci, for all I know, he had identifies as male today. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Guys, yeah, thank you. I want to quote something, and this is really reminiscent and powerful. This is one of my all-time favorite movies, and they just released a new uh, installment of it in The Matrix. Oh, yeah, yeah. This is what um, uh, Morpheus, played by Lawrence Fishburne, brilliantly so, says to Neo, the Matrix is a system, Neil. That system is our enemy. But when you're inside, you look around, what do you see? Businessmen, teachers, lawyers, carpenters, the very minds of the people you're trying to save. But until we do, these people are still part of a system that makes them our enemy. You have to understand most of these people are not ready to be unplugged. And many of them are so inert, so hopelessly dependent on the system that they will fight to protect it. The Matrix. It's Plato's cave. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And here's the question, and I know we're coming close to our time here, gentlemen. How do we break out of the Matrix or the Platonic cave or the people around us? How do we bring light into that darkness? How do we, um, as the scriptures say, um, overcome the the spirit of fear that God did not give us, but to go toward a sound mind and self-control and reach out and love? Oh, Um, wait. I'm going to, I'm going to add something to that, that question, Khaldun. Um, do we this this is this is the ongoing question that I have. Do we stay and fight in a context that is increasingly corrupt, leftist, woke, uh devilish in its ideologies, or do we leave and build somewhere else? Do we do the Machin thing and leave Princeton to go start Westminster? Or do we do the Kuyperian thing, Abraham Kuyper, and say, no, every square inch is Christ's. We're going to stay. We're going to fight. You can't take this city. You can't have my missionary organization. Uh, you can't, um, you can't have my church or my denomination or my institution. Uh, w- no, I'm going to fight and I'm going to save the matrix, if you will. Um, what, what do we, what do you guys think is the best course of action? Well, I think that historically Protestants have taken a, a fourfold approach to politics, and it's it's a uh, obey, uh, obey, resist, fight, flee. Obey, resist, fight, flee. So, something along those lines. So you can read uh, Niebuhr's Christ and Culture. You can read different books about this, where people are sort of parsing out: should we transform? Should we subvert? Should we create our own? There's the there's the Benedict Option book, for instance. I think that. 
all any any one of those requires wisdom. Where you are in your your locale, your city, where you are in the stage of things, your resources, you have to take all that into account. So, uh, whatever you do, I think you you should do it with a fighting spirit, though, a forward looking spirit, not a defeated spirit, because Christ Jesus is the King of Kings. He's the risen Lord, and He's sovereign. He's He's providential over all things, and so we need not uh, fear like the world fears. That there's absolute tyranny, like the book of Revelation talks about this beast that was killed, was slain and rose back up. And everybody was amazed that it rose back up. It's this power that's slain and rises. We know that all things are under God's providential sovereign hand. And so whatever we do, if you decide to flee your city, uh, don't do it in such a way that you think all is for naught. Everything was, was is at a loss. We're defeated. Let's go into hiding forever. Um, Christ is sovereign. And he, he is Lord and King. And so, and even if we fight, we don't fight like pagans fight where it's, where it's just this, uh, wild, radical, total abandon and, and sacri- sacrifice of all things for some other cause, right? We always have a, a higher cause in our mind. So, uh, personally, I think that conservatives or Christians, uh, today, I don't like to call it a post-Christian society. I don't like to say that because, like as I said, Jesus is the King of Kings right now. He's reigning and ruling. It's not. It's not a post-Christian world. Uh, it's Christ's world. But I do think that in our society today, we do not have the power. We don't have power, political power. So we need to realize just the history of things. If the the sort the something called the generations of war, for instance, you don't. If you're a weaker force, you don't meet the enemy straightforward in battle. You will be defeated. You have to fight a guerrilla warfare. And I'm not saying you go out and fight a guerrilla warfare. You look up Generations of War, you'll know what I'm talking about. Uh, I think we should be more careful. We should understand our resources. We should pull together in, in whatever ways we can. Christian classical education is, is uh, an example of that. Um, so, yeah, there's, there's a lot to take into account here. My, yeah, I... I mean, there is that discussion going on uh, on the right about whether you, you you try to take institutions or you start new institutions, and uh, and I, I don't know. I, I really don't know wh- where to go on that. I think just to but to add, I I, I want to say both. But being at being at a place like Princeton now, it, it does make you wonder what what can actually be achieved given the power. I mean, even people who are the most typical mainstream conservatives are being harassed and and if you want and, and they're the ones who are all about neutrality and viewpoint diversity and all that so i mean it, it, it's it's amazing how much how, how uh to what extent these people will defend other you know awful views and uh talk about viewpoint diversity and still get attacked by the, the university administration um so it, it's hard to say, but I, I think w- one thing that we could do is start uh, having local friendships and and have formal me- formal meetings or get to not you know overly formal, but just have scheduled get-togethers where you 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 uh, sh- share, you talk about politics, you do activities, you're, you're like-minded, you're friends, you have each other's back. Um, you, you, you tell, tell them when they're doing something wrong. 
um, when they're doing something right. Have have these local, so start these local networks. And there there are actually are local networks that uh, you have to kind of kind of get connected to. Usually they start online and they branch out locally. Um, so I think that's one thing. It's I, I I'm kind of pessimistic um, to be honest, and I think when it comes down to it. Is people, it's it's networks of loyalty uh, that you've developed are going to, I think, really really save you. And I'm, I'm really hoping that that can be true for people in their churches. Uh, and and sometimes that's not. Um, but uh, um, but but that's that's one thing I think that 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 I think going on like in in the future will really help help people. Bringing this um in the local perspective in a specific context of what we're in i have a lot of my friends tell us we all just need to get vaccinated and just listen because there's no fighting against this this is in major cities all over the world paris new york now even chicago where i live uh, the, the mandates are becoming stronger the pushes are becoming more intense the persecutions are becoming much more um i have my local mailman who told me he would, didn't want to get vaccinated he thought it was against his conscience um and for his children, however, because of the strong pushback and the ability to keep his own job, he ended up doing it. Do you see any hope in this regard? Do you see enough pushback? Uh, I just saw over 100,000 people protesting in Paris just yesterday about this. Um, that didn't get mainstream press. It got sideline press. But any thoughts on that politically? Is there hope? <laughs> I think... One thing that gave me some hope, I wouldn't call it hope, I guess just maybe a little more optimistic take, is having read that book I mentioned about the real Dr. Fauci, the real Anthony Fauci. <laughs> hey, say it uh, however you want, man. No yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Dr. Fauci, so just speaking specifically about the vaccine mandates that are going on right now, he was actually in charge of the AIDS uh, pandemic that was going on in the 90s. And... The way he ran that was exactly the same way he's running this one right now. And to give you uh, some, what I'm saying here is um, he's, he basically said, everybody's going to get AIDS. Everybody's going to get it. You're all going to get AIDS. It spreads everywhere through everybody. And it spreads through means that they, they actually didn't spread through. Uh, and I remember being a, a young, a young child, during the nineties thinking I'm going to get AIDS. I didn't read, I didn't read the news. I just, it was just in the air. Everybody's going to get AIDS. You're going to get AIDS by sitting a, on a chair at a, yeah. in a park toilet seat. Yeah. Yeah. By a toilet seat. That's right. You better, you mm -hmm. better clean everything before you. And the only solution to AIDS is first of all, there was no solution. If there, if there uh, was one though, it did not come through homeopathic means. It didn't come through the local, your local family doctor trying things. It didn't come through you living a healthy lifestyle None of this stuff could stop it. Only the government could stop it. The NAID uh, could stop it. And eventually, that scare just dissipated. It went away. And nobody cared. Nobody even thinks about AIDS really anymore, at least in, in America. Nobody had to get cures for it. The, the reality of the disease did not match the diagnosis, the, the fear that they were giving us. And they couldn't keep pushing it. It just went away. Nobody even thinks about it anymore. I don't they know treatments though for it too, didn't they? They did. So you, you actually, the, I'm not, I'm not a doctor. Okay. But from the book has like a, a several hundred pages about or you know, a hundred pages about this one thing, because it's explaining Dr. Fauci. Hmm. Um, there were treatments for it. 
the the blood transfusion, which was totally which didn't work. Um, the the causes were not HIV. The causes this is from the book. Okay, the causes were basically living a lifestyle of certain men in places like San Francisco, for for instance. Lots of drugs at the same time, lots of wild parties, lots of antibiotics, killing your body's natural immune system, um, and then your body starts to shut down. And there are, there are ways to cure that. It wasn't it HIV? Been, yeah, no. Now, that's what this is what the book says, okay? I'm just reporting. No, that's um, I've never heard that. That's, that's Yeah, I know. But that's the thing that Dr. Fauci was saying – it's HIV. We know it. And if people asked him for evidence, he would just say, we know it's everybody agrees. Don't question mm. me anymore. Okay. Uh, if you do disagree, we're going to get you fired. And uh, <laughs> the same thing, the exact same thing he did in the nineties, the exact same thing is what he's doing today. Wow. And I think that COVID personally, just from what I've read is not as deadly as, as everybody's claiming. I don't think I, and I think that there are solutions other than the vaccine. So, I'm hopeful also, so this is my hope, that this will fizzle out in the public eye. There will be a fatigue, uh, a pandemic fatigue. Hmm. Uh, people will, will grow weary of this thing like they did in AIDS. And this, I mean, even Omicron, some people say Omicron is the latest iteration of this thing and it's not that, not that troublesome. You should stay home now for five days, not 10. You don't have to wear a mask. And you, people get tired of it. The narrative doesn't pan out and eventually a new crisis emerges. We go to war, something else takes our mind off of it and we move away from it. And that's not, that's not the most optimistic take, like, you know, but it, it's a, it's a realist take from what I've read. And um, I, I'm thinking things will go in that direction. People will just get tired of it and the government uh, will not be able to solve it. Mm -hmm. And we'll just, uh, the people who get COVID get COVID. It still does happen, but it's a minority of people. And we'll we'll go on and live our lives. The government will will to change its its turn its attention to something else. The media will direct our attention to some new thing. Yeah, Stephen Thomas, this was wonderful. I feel like I could talk with you guys about this stuff all day long. Uh, very insightful, very informative. And um, wh why don't you just tell our listeners how can people follow Ars Politica, your work? If there's any other links you want them to know about, uh, let us know. How can the people follow your work? Sure. We're, we're, uh, we have a podcast, Ars Politica. It's on, I guess, any, any place that pushes out podcasts. I'm uh, on Facebook, Thomas Acord there. And uh, yeah, I'd love to connect with you guys. Uh, yeah. So same podcast, Ars Politica. Um, you can go on there. Uh, the, uh, I, I don't, I'm not on Facebook very much anymore, but on Twitter, uh, it's at uh, well, just I guess if you search Stephen Wolf and see a guy on the beach, then you'll find me. The uh, it's at Perfin Just. So don't don't ask why. That's the <laughs> <laughs> perf, perf Injust. Um, so that's where you can find me on Twitter. Wonderful, guys. Thank you again for coming on, and uh, really appreciate you guys taking the time. And uh, we'll talk to you next time. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Thanks. Nice talking with you. All right. God bless. Okay, that about wraps it up for this episode. The Think Podcast is a production of the Think Institute and is produced by yours truly, Joel Sedeckes. The Think Institute operates under Church Movements, a ministry of Crew under the division of Crew City. To learn about how to support the Think Institute and my family tax-free, go to thethink.institute/partner. 
I hope you heard something helpful today. I know I did. Remember, this is not goodbye. This has just been a short stop on the journey as we learn to lead our families in defending the Christian message. And we'll see you next time. Until then, I hope it made you think. 